Hello for tuning in, communication. We, we've been talking about loneliness. You missed a few minutes, but not, not the meat of the things. All right, so loneliness, uh, things I've heard. Relative size of our church is too big. I feel uh, really lonely. Uh, city group is a great time, and I want to go beyond the surface uh, during that time. Uh, I come to events, but I still don't feel like I know anyone. Uh, I wish I knew more people in my life stage. Uh, I wish I knew people further along in, than my life stage. Uh, I'm new to the area and to the church, and I'm getting settled in, and I just feel a little lonely. Uh, I, I hear these things pretty regularly in various forms, uh, that people come to our church and they're, they're looking for someone looking for them. Uh, and there is, there is something happening within us that we don't always feel uh, like people are looking for us and that, that creates an ache of the soul. So uh, let's start this. So we're doing discussion here. So you should have a handout uh, in front of you. Uh, it'll be really important for our time together. So grab a handout, grab a pen. Uh, if you need a pen, there might be some extras. So let's start in this way. First question, how do you define loneliness? Grab your handout, grab a pen, and take about 30 seconds and ask this question. How, how do you define loneliness? So again, back to your handout. Uh, we've been, uh, the book for the summer was The Loneliness Epidemic by Susan Metes. Uh, and she gives a definition of loneliness that I feel like is really helpful. Uh, there's on your handout some blanks. So I'm going to walk through the blanks here so you can fill those in. Uh, she says that loneliness is the distress someone feels when their social connections don't meet their need for emotional intimacy. Uh, I appreciate that definition, because I, I, when I often hear people explaining if they're lonely or not, they usually say they stop at like social connections. It's like, I have social connections, therefore I'm not, or I shouldn't be lonely. Uh, and what Susan does, she kind of unpacks a little bit more to say, it's not just enough to say you have social connections, uh, but do you uh, feel like they're meeting the need for emotional intimacy? And I appreciate the definition because it raises the question, are you aware of your needs for emotional intimacy? Because uh, depending on how aware you are, that can help determine if you actually feel lonely. Also, distress. Uh, so, so maybe someone has observed that you don't have much of a social life and nobody's ever around you, but maybe you don't feel much distress about that. So you wouldn't say that you're, you're lonely. Uh, so her definition kind of combines it all. The distress, or also, she says elsewhere in the book, the disappointment someone feels when their social connections don't meet their need for emotional intimacy, right? Uh, so again, a couple more points of discussion here right under that. Uh, it says, how, how does your definition and uh, Susan's definition line up? Are there any similarities, any differences? And then share about a time in your life when you felt lonely. So take about five minutes, turn to a neighbor, so not the whole table, but turn to a neighbor and answer those questions. How does your definition line up with Susan's similar differences and share about a time you felt lonely? Uh, so we continue on your handout. Uh, so Susan Mehta, she, she talks about in her book some, some myths about loneliness, and I feel like I resonated with uh, a lot of them. There are some areas where I, I push back on, but I certainly defer to her as the expert, but uh, was very, I was very curious as she was reading that. Those that are numbers-oriented and stats-oriented, she was speaking your love language. Uh, but those that might be on the more poetic side, this might have been a bit of a struggle to read. But it's all good. Truth is, is God's truth, so it's a beautiful thing. So she kind of walks through various statistics on various uh, aspects of loneliness to, to kind of do some, some myth-busting. And so these are the myths that she came up with. One, 
Uh, older adults are the loneliest. Um, that, you know, what, what we often see is that uh, older folks are surrounded less and less by, by people and uh, social uh, situations, and the assumption can be that they are lonelier when, in fact, uh, younger folks uh, are, are lonely statistically. Uh, and this is why I you know, was maybe curious, because a lot of this was like self-reporting things. And, and again, if we go back to the definition about distress, maybe just old people not distressed about it no more. So that's why, <laughs> it's like, this is my life, it is what it is, I got 10 more years. So, I, you know, uh, so they, they might not feel like they are lonely, uh, because they don't have all these components by her definition. Yet and still, she said it's not actually older adults that are the loneliest. Uh, but she does also say the, the, the factors in loneliness um, that are often about transition. And so there's a lot of life stage transition that naturally uh, leads to loneliness. And so she was talking about bereavement, loss of a loved one that's very lonely. Um, and again, adolescence, like you know, getting into a certain stage of life, uh, if, if you moved, if you started a new job, uh, all those things, all those transitions are lonely. If you, if you just got married, uh, that can actually be a lonely experience. Why? Because the, the needs that you have for emotional intimacy in this stage, you don't actually have yet. You still have the social connections from the previous stage. And so, yes, they need to catch up in that new stage. Uh, but in the meantime, you can feel, feel lonely even if good things are happening. Um, second thing is people who have found true love aren't lonely. She says, like, it, it's not about the, the category or the type, uh, but it's the, the, the quality uh, that it, you, if there is a relationship that facilitates belonging, that's actually the critical thing. So there's a lot of married people that feel lonely in their marriage. Uh, so it's not automatic. And a lot of people get married because they, they think they'll fight loneliness. And maybe, uh, but also maybe not. Uh, it, it depends on if there's actually a, a culture of belonging in your relationship. Uh, third myth is poor social skills are the root of loneliness. I often hear that. It's like, I'm just so awkward. I don't know how to make friends. Right? Uh, and it's just not that simple. Uh, that it's it's uh, more a question of insecurity. Uh, if you feel insecure about yourself, uh, then you will project that into social situations. And Susan talks about the spotlight effect. You know when you, you know, you, you're kind of getting ready for the day, you have your morning coffee, and you kind of drip it on your shirt. Uh, and you don't have time to change your shirt, so you just go off into your work day, and you just think everybody that you interact with is staring only at your coffee stain. It's like, I know, I'm a slob, please don't talk about it. But you just feel hyper aware because of something that's happening. And, and when you're in a social situation, you don't feel like there's belonging, you feel insecure, you, you, you start to think like, what's wrong with me? And I don't feel like I'm part of this group. You start to really highlight something about yourself. And status can feel, be a factor in that. And I appreciated her chapter here because she raised the issue for, uh, of kind of uh, isolation for ethnic minorities, which I think is very relevant for our church, uh, that people of color can feel extremely lonely coming to our church. Uh, because our church is predominantly white. Uh, and so if you're black, you come to our church on Sunday, you're just gonna feel real black uh, being in worship sometimes. Uh, and, 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 it, and it highlights it if you don't actually have any meaningful conversations from the parking lot to the pew and from the pew back to the parking lot. That, that experience, even though nobody has done anything intentionally, you can feel very lonely. It's like, maybe it's because I'm black that nobody actually said anything to me. Right? And I know that happens. People have said that to me. Um, so that's, a, that's an important growth area, I think. But it's not simply about uh, poor social skills. Four, people are lonely because they spend too much time on social media. 
that's a common uh, myth, and uh, it's not, necess not necessarily true. What, what, she, what she pushes back on is that social media is a tool, and if you're using it in that way, while also centering in, in the substance of your relationships is with people and being in person, then that is where uh, that, that functions well. But if you feel like social media is the substance of your relationships, then you will inevitably become lonely because that's not actual connection. That's a tool towards connection, but it's not actual connection, even if you've got 3,000 friends. You, they're, they're just not. You don't have 3,000 friends, right? Um, and so it, it is a tool. <laughs> Some people's like, oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> Surprise, you ain't got 3,000 friends. Um, but what, what's, what's tricky about it is that, yes, it's a tool, and just like everything that's invented, it's, it's kind of morally neutral in a sense, but there are people behind these algorithms trying to draw you in. So there is a siren call to social media. Right? So even if social media doesn't automatically make you lonely, you gotta actually have some level of resistance to actually have a healthy engagement to it. You can't just assume, oh, it's, it's neutral, I don't have to think critically about this, because people are actually invested. Their whole paycheck is spent trying to get you to click on, on the app more and more. I think going to church makes people less lonely. Again, it's maybe, maybe not, it depends. Uh, that kind of kind of speaks to the idea of um, if uh, people are actually utilizing the ingredients of church. Right, so if you're just, just coming to a program, just coming to City Fellowship doesn't mean you're less lonely. Right? This is a launching pad into deeper relationship. But all the ingredients for loneliness, purpose, mission, security, all of that tends to happen uh, at church. And then number six, when people are paying you attention, you won't feel lonely. That's just the idea. Like being seen, being in a crowd doesn't mean you are or not lonely. And so a lot of people are like, they're, they're jumping from party to party, social thing to social thing, and then like, I still feel lonely. What's going on? So just because people see you, that doesn't mean they actually are seeing you. That doesn't mean they're actually knowing you. So you actually have to be careful. And, and even kind of in housing situations where there's not a whole lot of privacy, um, and uh, privacy isn't the de determining factor there. All right, so those are the myths uh, that, that Susan Metz engages with and kind of uh, curates that a little bit. So let me talk about the, the lies of loneliness. Uh, this is from Lydia Brownback. So here's where some writing will come in, so you can grab your pen. And she says that the, the lies of loneliness are progressive in nature. Uh, where, where it starts is, uh, the lie says, loneliness is evil. Now, loneliness is a result of something bad, and therefore no one should have to experience it. Or there's something wrong with me. We, we place loneliness in a, in a moral category, uh, especially Christians. Christians are three times more likely to feel embarrassed about being lonely, according to her research. Um, but Genesis 2, uh, we see that the Lord said it is not good that man should be alone, and I'll make him a helper fit for him. But for Adam was not found a helper fit for him. And some people might look at that and see, see, God is saying that it's not good, and that means loneliness is evil. Um, that, that's not quite what, it, what it's getting at there. What, what's happening is, like, the Lord spent all this wonderful wisdom and goodness making creation, and it was so good, and it was so beautiful. And it's not like he built the universe and said, oh, man, there's a crack. I need to feel that. Now, how, how'd that get there? He's, not, he's alone? Oh, let me, let me address that. So, you know, in, in God's wisdom and in God's design, he actually intentionally constructed the universe and made it so that loneliness would be highlighted for the man. Like he, he used it, he placed loneliness there. And we don't know how Adam was feeling, doesn't say, but at this moment in Genesis 2, he was in full alignment with God. So on some level, God is expressing some distress about the social connections that are not meeting the need for Adam's emotional intimacy. 
And so he was using it intentionally, and God is good and does good. Uh, so if God allowed and placed loneliness in, in the fabric of the universe to be addressed, he did so to create a longing and a hunger for companionship. Uh, Lydia Brombeck says this, that Adam's aloneness was God's doing, and God did it so that Adam would yearn for companionship. Tim Keller, he says, the ache of friendship is one that is part of Adam's perfection. God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy paradise without friends. God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy our joy without friends, human friends. Adam had a perfect quiet time every day, 24 hours, never had a dry one, and yet he needed friends. Yeah, that's a good thought. Chip Dodd, if you, if you are around us long enough, you're going to hear about Chip Dodd and, and Voice of the Heart stuff. He uh, kind of has this, this list of what it means to live fully into our emotions, and one of the things he points to is loneliness, that, that God gave us loneliness so that we would seek out relationship, that he, he gave it to us. On some level, loneliness is a gift, so it's not, not evil, but it does point to something. Progresses then, next, uh, next point, I shouldn't have to be alone. I shouldn't have to be alone. First you say it's evil, then you naturally say, well, I shouldn't have to be alone. There's, there's something wrong here. Loneliness itself is not wrong, and experiencing it does not necessarily mean that you're doing something wrong, but we often re immediately react against it. How, how, how can I uh, respond? So the main goal should not be fighting loneliness, uh, because there's no moral imperative on loneliness, uh, but we often do that. And so we'll date somebody because we're lonely, or we'll, we'll go to a, a social engagement because, because we're lonely. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, but there's something beyond that you're actually yearning for. Or sometimes we'll be mad at God. It's like, if God were truly good, he wouldn't leave me in this lonely situation. I hear that a lot. It's like, I'm so lonely, and I feel like God is not doing anything about it. Um, and then the last lie is, I can fix this myself. That, um, and Lydia says, we can alter our aloneness, but not our loneliness. Here, here's what's most frustrating about loneliness. Loneliness is so frustrating because we can't actually fix it on our own. Like, loneliness inherently says, I need something outside of myself to satisfy this. And so you can go for a run. Absolutely. You feel lonely, go for a run. Or you, you can binge Netflix. Go for it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but you, you know how you're, you have a busy day and you're working and working and working hours and then you stop in the busy day and you say, oh, I, I worked through lunch. I missed lunch. Um, I, need to go, I, I need to go eat. Right? You can go back into working and, and not be aware of, of, of that hunger, but that doesn't mean that the hunger is not there. Right? So all, all the activities that we do are good activities, but ultimately that, that hunger uh, needs, needs attention, and that hunger is not actually going to be satisfied when we're trying to fix it ourselves. And this is why many of us settle for lesser forms of intimacy, uh, whether that's eating or over-shopping or abuse substances or watching pornography or pouring ourselves into music. All those things, they can, they can mute our loneliness, but it doesn't quite address it because loneliness fundamentally indicates that we need others. And so it's a vulnerability. Uh, and we don't like to actually be vulnerable. And as a culture, we should always be striving for self-sufficiency, right? Uh, it, it, there's another book that we read this summer by Alan Nobles called You Are Not Your Own. And uh, he talks a lot about this idea of self-belonging, uh, that, that expressive individualism is the prevailing ethic of our culture. And I'm not going to unpack that because we got a summer book reading for it. So a uh, shameless plug there. But just this idea of like, you should live your truth but on some level, your truth should be represented in the relationships that you have. 
Um, and there's, there's something that's out of alignment with that um, because you have to negotiate others. All right, so that was a lie. So a couple questions here. So more discussion time. How have you been tempted to believe any of these lies? And have you believed any of these, these myths that we went through from Susan Mette's book? All right, so turn to your neighbor, take a few minutes and discuss those two questions. All right, so we're gonna keep moving here. So things to know about, about loneliness. Uh, what's what's kind of helpful information about loneliness? This isn't exhaustive, but things that I've gleaned as I've been uh, processing and researching stuff about loneliness. So loneliness pertains to quality over quantity of relationships, right? I think I've hinted at this already. Uh, and Susan, she defines quality as uh, people who uh, you feel are uh, confidants, teammates, advisors, and can debrief with. So if a feature of your relationship with someone is that they are a confidant, someone you can confide in, a teammate, someone you can trust to get things done with, an advisor, someone that can speak into your life and you welcome that, and also debrief to help you process your experience, she said that is a quality relationship. Uh, and she says having that is far more uh, rich than having a whole bunch of relationships that uh, are lacking that. Uh, which again, uh, when you're in transition, it can be really hard to, to find that, um, especially if you are in a setting where people don't necessarily relate to that, or you come from, you know, I lived in this city for so many years and I found that and I took it for granted, didn't have to exercise that, now I'm in a new city and I, I don't know anyone yet, so I don't feel the, the confidant, I don't feel someone I can debrief with. Uh, so transition is natural, or you're kind of age and stage. Um, the, the questions that, that come up are, are particular in that stage, so transition can affect quality. Next is belonging and security help navigate loneliness. Um, you know, the, the biggest reason, one of the biggest reasons, I should say, that, that I hear people leaving our church and churches in general is I hear things to the effect of, like, I just didn't feel like I belong here. Um, some form of that. And so and some of you might be wondering, like, it, uh, if this is your church, uh, you, you're on some level asking, do I belong here? You know, you're kind of surveying how the church operates, how the church functions, how the church is comprised. There's something in you that's asking that question, do I belong here? And to the degree that you're able to answer that question affirmatively, that's the likelihood that you'll, you'll actually stay. And so belonging, belonging is marked by feelings that you are a member uh, in a group, that you are accepted, recognized, and embraced. If you feel accepted, recognized, and embraced, uh, you're look, likely to feel like you, you belong when you bring your, your full self uh, into a place. Uh, Chip Dodd says this about belonging. He says, living in the world of belonging means uh, to be delighted in, trusting someone to be curious about us, allowing someone to stand in our way, and permitting someone to be in pain with us. Like, that's what it means when we experience belonging. I love the part, it's like allowing someone to stand in our way. Like, yeah, he says, living in the world of belonging means to be delighted in, trusting someone to be curious about us. It's not just someone being curious, but trusting someone to be curious about us. Allowing someone to stand in our way. Right? So not just someone standing in our way, but allowing it. You know, just because someone asks how you're doing doesn't mean you're actually going to take the risk of answering honestly. So allowing someone to stand in our way and permitting someone to be in pain with us. 
right? Can I, can I share this, this pain and allowing someone to be in? That takes trust. Right, so that's uh, thoughts on belonging. Security, uh, Chip, Chip Dust says this, when we're secure, we believe that we can come apart without falling to pieces as we have faith that others will be with us in our struggle for life. Right, so when you feel secure, you feel okay about being messy. Right. Uh, and, and some of that is a, a kind of a symbiotic relationship. Like if, if you personally feel insecure about yourself, then you would not even dream of being uh, messy in, in the view of somebody else. All right, so this kind of speaks to negative self-talk. How, how, what do you actually think of yourself? If the baseline is self-deprecation, uh, then when you're, you're talking and you don't get the signals that you're actually welcome here, you start asking yourself, maybe I do talk too much, maybe I do, maybe my breath does stink, maybe I am stupid, like all these kinds of things come up and you're just in a group and, and they just didn't, didn't uh, take the cue. I was talking to a guy and um, he's, he had felt very insecure and he was in a group of folks and all of them were kind of Duke and UNC alums uh, and they were swapping stories about this hall or that tradition and so on and so forth and he's from out of town and they were just swapping stories but he, he, he immediately felt very aware that he was from out of town and was like, I don't belong in this group. And nobody was doing anything offensive, uh, they were just sharing uh, but there was something that he felt insecure about that was working its way out in that interaction. Right, so belonging and security. Um, people want security and belonging more than they want most other things. Like you think of a child, you know, they, they desire belonging and security more than, than anything. Like if you're, if you're feeding uh, and, and, and you leave, right, so you know, they put, put them to bed, put them in their, in their crib, uh, they'll, they'll cry. Uh, or, or, or if you kind of have the child here and you kind of walk away, this happened with my kids, maybe nobody else's, but I'll put my child at the table, you got your chicken nuggets, you got all that you need, and I'm walking away. Well, this is not, it's really mom. They, they don't really care if I leave. But like, if mom walks away, Molly, where are you going? And it's like, I know you're hungry, just eat. No, I don't want food, I want mama. Right, that, 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 that belonging, that security, right? Or my child will be sleepy. Like, I know you're tired, you haven't had a nap today, go to sleep. But we walk out, we put him in his crib, walk out, and he is screaming bloody murder uh, because he doesn't want sleep. He wants security. He wants belonging. Right? There, there's something infantile in us. It's like, that is a high need of ours. Somewhere along the way, we learn how to push that down and say, well, I'll just eat. Uh, but we actually still want that. <laughs> we, we actually still want some security and belonging. All right? Right, Susan Mente says, security is marked by listening, meaningful conversation, and self-revelation. So if you're wondering if you feel secure, uh, in, in a certain relationship, is there, is there listening, is there meaningful conversation, and is there self-revelation? In particular, that last one. If you haven't actually revealed anything about yourself in the conversation, in the relationship, you probably don't feel very secure uh, because you don't trust that you can be messy with that person. So a lot of people have very one-sided meaningful conversations and people walk away saying, oh, I know them so well. And it's like, you didn't ask me a thing about myself. Right? It's like, we don't actually have a conversation going because you, you didn't actually take a single second uh, to take an interest in me, right? So there has to be some meaningful conversation both ways. Um, and again, you know, having, having radar up for, for folks that uh, might be on the margins. And then purpose affects loneliness. Uh, there's often a connection between loneliness, depression, and purposelessness, right? That, that my life matters less uh, 
on some level when, when we feel lonely. Living a meaningful life connects that. So serving alongside someone towards a shared goal uh, can be really helpful. We, we get out of bed in the morning because we see some kind of purpose in it. But some of us, when we're depressed, we don't actually see beyond getting out of bed. Uh, but there's a purpose that we feel when we brush our teeth, when we shower, when we go to work, when we go to church. We see some kind of purpose in it, and that's confirmed when we're in relationship with folks. And so a lot of the people that I'm closest to are people that I serve alongside uh, towards a certain goal. Um, so I often ask folks that are feeling lonely, are you, are you serving anywhere? Uh, that's not the end-all be-all, but it is actually helpful if you're serving in the church. That will actually uh, impact the loneliness. Uh, next thing is loneliness is like a hunger of the soul. Loneliness is like a hunger of the soul. So again, I took this from Chip Dye. He says, loneliness arouses an emotional and spiritual hunger to be received, known, and loved. And again, God gave us loneliness to activate the, the longing for companionship. Uh, but uh, what, what he helps us to see is that it, it's, we're actually, in, in, a, in a holistic way, when we're, when we're longing and we have that, that hunger, uh, that what's in view is a relationship, but it's not just relationship with others, it's actually a relationship with God itself and, and God. Right? So all of those things actually need to be in view when we're talking about addressing loneliness and acknowledging our, our hunger for relationship. Um, and kind of depending on where you are distinctly, it's kind of a question of craving. Right? You ever been hungry? You turn to whoever you're with and say, I'm hungry, what do you want to eat? They say, oh, maybe Chipotle. No, I don't want that. That don't, that don't sound good. So, oh, well, maybe, maybe Olive Garden. No, that doesn't, that doesn't sound good, right? So you, you're hungry, but he's like, there's something in particular that I, that I, that I, that I have a taste for, right? And so the, the hunger for relationship, yes, but what are, you, what are you actually craving? Because some of us might think we're craving relationship with people, and we haven't actually spent any time with God. And so we're not actually getting the satisfaction that we need because we're, we're neglecting an aspect of our hunger. So how do we align our cravings and our hungers? Like, yes, we need a relationship with other people, but we also need a relationship with God. And if we're, if we're going after people and there's no connection with God, like, there's going to be some loneliness there. It's, it's just going to happen because you're craving something more than just the person across the table from you. And also with self. Uh, some people just, just are scared to be alone. Like the, the noisiest time in their days when they are alone and there's no other external stimulation. Uh, and they spend their whole day trying to find a way to stay away from themselves. Uh, but you are actually a gift and you should actually be in relationship with yourself as well. That's where you actually get a better sense of your need uh, in terms of relationship. So in that, you discern solitude versus isolation. Uh, aloneness is actually good. Uh, but there is a difference between solitude and isolation. Outwardly, it looks the same. You are alone. But solitude seeks to embrace, while isolation seeks to escape. Right? We, we should always be embracing, but sometimes the embrace that we actually need is embracing self. And, and, and part of embracing self means you, you, you go somewhere and you are alone, but you're not actually lonely because you're actually communing with self and communing with with God. One thing I really like is Matthew 14, 13. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a solitary place to be alone, but the crowds heard where he was uh, and uh, was headed there and followed on foot from many towns. From many towns. Um, Jesus spent a lot of time alone, um, and, and it wasn't simply to escape people. 
Uh, what, what's happening in Matthew 14 is that uh, the verses before that, Jesus is receiving the news that John the Baptist, his cousin, the, the precursor to his ministry, was beheaded. And his response to getting the news that John the Baptist was beheaded was that he went off to a solitary place to be alone. And I'm just so curious. Like, Jesus, what did you do? Like, what did you do when you were alone? And I don't think he was just trying to isolate. I think he was trying to embrace himself in the grief of losing his cousin, but also embrace the, the gratitude that he poured out his life. Also to embrace the father in the mission of John the Baptist's ending. I, I believe there was a, a good embrace there and not just trying to escape. Uh, you can't, he, he couldn't have escaped the grief, he couldn't have escaped that, that joy. And so I often come back to this a lot, especially in ministry, because pastors are very lonely. Three and four pastors feel loneliness chronically. Um, and Matthew 14 is a really in, uh, good uh, verse I come back to, because the verse after verse 13, this crowd he's talking about, that's the feeding of the 5,000. And so like Jesus is like, I'm, I'm just, I'm a solitary place. I can't get away. Thousands of people have come talking about, I want something to eat. And not a single one of them said, are you okay, Jesus? <laughs> Like, are you actually in a good emotional place to do this? <laughs> Nobody cared. They were just like, I'm hungry. Feed me. Do something for me. I resonate with that a little bit. I resonate with that a little bit uh, in ministry. Um, and I, it is what it is. Uh, and uh, Jesus, he, he had the, the presence of, of self and God to actually be fully living into that miracle. Uh, that, that he wasn't ministering out of the reservoirs, that he was ministering out of a deep abiding communion with all these different aspects of relationship, which is a beautiful thing. It's something that I aspire to. Uh, Lord willing, it, it will happen. So solitude is embrace. Isolation is escape. All right, let's go to practices. Practices to engage loneliness. If we believe this is what's true about loneliness, what should we do knowing that these things are a factor? One is identify and normalize loneliness. It's just normal. It's just, it's just part of life. Similar to physical hunger, there's a soul hunger. There's an emotional hunger. We, there are times when we f will feel lonely. And we should be able to name that. Again, voice of the heart. There should, there should be things you should be able to just name because that's the complexity of life. Every age, stage, and status experiences it. So how can we make room for that? How can we have compassion for that? And again, Christians are three times more likely to be embarrassed always about loneliness. Uh, so we are just less likely to identify our loneliness. And even if we do feel lonely, we'll do what's called spiritual bypassing. We say, I feel lonely, but thanks be to God that he'll never leave me nor forsake me, right? It's like, that's true. That's Bible. But let's just stay with what you said. You're lonely. You're not spiritually deficient for saying that you're lonely. You're not, it's not a lack of faith when you say that you're lonely. You are expressing that there is a hunger there and it's worth giving attention to especially in moments of transition. Seek curiosity over correction. So can you sit with someone long enough to actually be curious? Can you sit with yourself long enough to be curious? Uh, and not feel like you have to rush to fix. Um, and oftentimes when you're trying to, to solve it and, and somebody else feeling lonely, it often just reinforces their loneliness because they feel misunderstood, they feel missed. It's like, yeah, I, 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 I kind of gave you the headline, but you didn't actually let me unpack that before you, you kind of slap the scripture on it. So curiosity, it, it shows that you actually enjoy receiving someone's experience even before you come to a solution, right? So seek to be curious over correction. Yes, there might be a place for correction, but 
the, the prevailing sentiment when you're talking about loneliness should be curiosity. I want to hear more about that. Uh, what, what feels lonely about that? I resonate with that. I've experienced that. Um, which, by the way, quick side note, what's common right now is deconstruction. How many of you have heard that term, deconstruction? Deconstructing your faith. Yeah. I hear it a lot, especially in the mental health space. A lot of, a lot of folks are, are really struggling um, with faith, the ideas of faith. And some of that is like news media things that are happening, that are coming out in the church. And some of that is two and a half years of just chronic crisis and like feeling no relief and saying like, what, how, how is God relevant when I just cannot get any relief from this constant stress and, and so on and so forth and actual real experiences. Um, and and from, from my observation, uh, I, I, have ne- I have never met a person that's deconstructing that is not incredibly lonely. I just haven't. Uh, I've never met a person that's deconstructing, that is overjoyed with the experience, that feels like they're thriving. More often than not, they feel very lonely. Um, and, some of the, and sometimes they, they say, I'm lonely because of what the church did. Like the church abandoned me. Um, and, and I feel like there's something worth engaging here when talking about how do we minister to folks that are lonely. It's like, how do we make space for that? I, I, I don't need to quickly correct what you're saying. Yeah, you see certain sins in the church, absolutely. Yeah, you're seeing abuse in the church, I, I, I hear you in that. Uh, I, I, I understand. Um, I, I feel you in saying that you are concerned about being in the church when there's that experience. Like, there's, there's all kinds of things happening, and quick responses, I found, have not been really helpful um, and when folks are, are feeling lonely about that, that journey. So is it worth it to normalize, and is it worth it to be, be curious? Because more often than not, when I'm hearing people in their deconstruction journey, they usually start in the church, and they feel like there's no place to ask the questions, and there's some kind of reinforcement that their questions aren't welcome, and so they kind of take them elsewhere. Um, so if there's, there's more of a cultivating of like, yeah, ask that question. The Bible says that Jesus is the only way, the exclusivity of Jesus. That, that, that doesn't feel right. I, I, I hear you in that. Like, wow, there, there is a, there's a lot of suffering in the world, and we say God is good and all-powerful. That's hard to reconcile. <laughs> How is God all good, all-powerful, that he sees this awful suffering, and he has not stopped it? Yeah, I... I, I don't want to. I don't want to respond to that too quickly. I want to hear more about that. All right. Uh, which, by the way, emer- our emerging generation, the the default is uh, kind of suspicion of the faith. The default is questioning. Um, so, f- for a church that will will grow and get more rooted, we got to find a way to make more room for the questions that are inevitably coming in the emerging generations around all these different things. What should we believe about sexuality? What, what should we believe about these other religions? Because we're such a pluralistic society. People feel lonely in those questions. Youth feel lonely in those questions. And those questions are actually really good. And God is not scared of any of them. He's not stressed. Why are we? All right, keep moving. Um, foster quality time. So this is the idea of thinking beyond programs. Uh, I hear it a lot. Like someone feels lonely, they come and say, "Well, we start a ministry of you know, X, Y, and Z." I'm not against programs. We have many programs. I think they're great, and I think that there's room for growth in all of them. And maybe there is room a need for another program. Uh, but the program isn't actually going to solve the connection. It, it's limited in that way. It is a stepping stone towards that. But really, where there's quality is. Uh, people taking the time to see each other in kind of unstructured times in the program. So how, how are you taking that time? Because the externals 
can be aligned if the internals are there. So times together, we experience belonging, and remember quality is confidants, teammates, and debrief with and have advisors, right? And develop place and hospitality. Uh, I, uh, I got this from Brian Lewis. He says, sanctuaries are reflections of dinner tables. Some people often say, I want the church to be more such and such. And I intuitively feel like, well, what does your dinner table look like? Because uh, if you want more of such and such in the sanctuary, then start with making your dinner table reflective of that. Because uh, usually there's, there's, there's alignment there. Um, and we want people that are feeling lonely uh, to experience that. And hospitality is actually a biblical command. Romans 12, 13, Hebrews 13, 2, 1 Peter 4, 9, so on and so forth. Show hospitality, show hospitality, show hospitality. When we were living in Chattanooga, we had a 900 square foot apartment and we had 15 people over for dinner. And boy, people was almost sitting on top of each other. Uh, and it was hot, the air conditioner couldn't even, couldn't even take it. Uh, but a lot of times people think of hospitality, they're thinking like home and garden, HGTV type stuff. You don't have to have a 4,000 square foot house to be hospitable, right? Hospitable is just creating place, creating opportunity for connection. And some of that is house, some of that is our church. And, and the tension, the struggle is, how can we be a close community without becoming a closed community, right? How can we be a close community without becoming a closed community, right? Is Christ Central cliquish? Is, is there actually good on-ramps for a connection? Because the reality is you only have so much space for friendship. Like you can't be everybody's close friend, right? So people often find their cadre, they find their three or four friends, and like, Sunday after Sunday, I'm looking for my three or four friends, uh, which I get. That's, that's, that's closeness. I'm looking for those close relationships. But are, you, are we in danger of becoming closed? Where people that are not in our three or four group, they see us and they see us jamming out, having, having a good time laughing, and they don't actually feel welcome to participate in that because we're all filled up in our margins in terms of connection. That's a, that's a tension, that's a hard tension. We wanna be a close community, but we don't wanna be a closed community, we wanna be hospitable. And then be a friend. So I, I think it's, it's important, kind of like Luke 10, where, where a person's saying, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus lands by saying, are you the neighbor? That's the real question. Uh, you look for everybody else to be a neighbor. Are you, are you a neighbor? Um, and that's the struggle, because when we're, when we're hungry, we're not really focused on feeding. <laughs> we're, we're, we're often focused on getting fed. Um, so people come to a church looking for someone looking for them, as opposed to coming to church looking for people that don't feel like they're seen. And that's, that's often the struggle. Uh, Vivek Murphy, he, he's a U.S. general, he wrote a book called Together. He says, loneliness can impede mutuality because we're lonely. Uh, the urgency of our own social need can make it difficult to honor and respond to the concerns of others, even if they are our friends. Right? When we feel lonely, we often don't engage other people's loneliness. So be a friend. Jonathan Holmes says, fel uh, this says this about defining friendship. Fellowship that has been given added depth, refinement, and detail through active investment in one another's lives. So there's fellowship, and then there's the active investment. That's where a friend is. And we have these one another's in Scripture, Ephesians 4.25, members one of another. And so one tangible, like after service, just linger and look. If you want, you want to be a friend, after whatever service you go to, linger and look. You might be tempted to beeline uh, to the parking lot, uh, and that's fine, but I say linger and look for somebody that might be alone. Um, look for your friend, yes. Maybe take your friend and say, let's go together and look for somebody that might be alone. Linger and look, because somebody in our church is lonely. All right, last thing. 
Where is God in our loneliness? Uh, Ultimately, um, when we feel alone, we struggle with the idea of the nearness of God. It doesn't often give us comfort, and we wrestle with that in a lot of ways. And what I love about Jesus is that he sympathizes with us. Um, There is nothing that we can experience that he is not familiar with. And so I think of this passage, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, Uh, but this was the loneliest moment in history, right here. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was about to go to the cross. He was asking the Lord, he was asking his Father, if this cup could pass from me, let it pass. The cup he's talking about, among other things, is separation from, from God. The, the, the loneliness beyond measure, beyond belief. Um, and we don't have to experience that loneliness because Jesus bore that loneliness for us. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with, with grief. Uh, that grief he took on from us. So in the moments of loneliness, God has actually gone further uh, than whatever loneliness you can experience. That's not to pacify or minimize. That's to say that there is a God that can actually handle you unloading all of that onto him. He cares. He actually cares about that. All right, so I'm going to conclude with this. There was some other discussion questions, but I ran out of time. Sorry, you gave a, you gave a preacher a microphone. <laughs> We'd be talking too much. All right, that's all right, though. Hopefully it was helpful. I'm going to uh, conclude with this. Um, who, who, who's ever heard, uh, read the story, The Rabbit Listened? You know, I know that story. That's my, that's my story. Um, I, I, it's kind of far away. Let me get the microphone real quick. Hold on. Don't roll. Let me see. All right, let me, let me see if I can get a little closer here. There we go. A little bit better. Might, might still be hard, but it's a little bit better. This story is called The Rabbit Listened. So it's story time with Pastor Evan. This is a story that I read with, with my daughter when I'm putting her to bed sometimes. It's one of my favorite stories. Um, and you can imagine what it's about. Right? I love those book titles that are just like real matter of fact. This is what we're about to do. Uh, the rapid listen. So let me tell you this story. One day, Taylor decided to build something. Something new. Something special. Something amazing. Taylor was so proud. But then, out of nowhere, (laughs) things came crashing down. The chicken was the first to notice. Cluck, cluck, what a shame. I'm so sorry, sorry, sorry this happened. Let's talk, talk, talk about it, cluck, cluck. But Taylor didn't feel like talking. So the chicken left. Next came the bear. Grrr, how horrible. I bet you feel so angry. Let's shout about it. Grrr, grrr, grrr. But Taylor didn't feel like shouting. So the bear left. The elephant knew just what to do. Trumpeta. I can fix this. We just need to remember exactly the way things were. 
But Taylor didn't feel like remembering. So the elephant also left. One by one they came, the hyena, <laughs> let's laugh about it. The ostrich, gulp, let's hide and pretend nothing happened. The kangaroo, tisk tisk, what a mess, let's throw it all away. And the snake, shh, let's go knock down someone else. <laughs> But Taylor didn't feel like doing anything with anybody. So eventually, they all left until Taylor was alone. In the quiet, Taylor didn't even notice the rabbit, but it moved closer and closer until Taylor could feel its warm body. Together, they sat in silence until Taylor said, Please stay with me. The rabbit listened. The rabbit listened as Taylor talked. The rabbit listened as Taylor shouted. The rabbit listened as Taylor remembered and laughed. The rabbit listened to Taylor's plans to hide, to throw everything away, to ruin things for someone else. Through it all, the rabbit never left. And when the time was right, the rabbit listened to Taylor's plans to build again. I can't wait, Taylor said. It's going to be amazing. I love this story because it is such a wonderful picture of the church. Because the, the question could be, which one am I? Am I the rabbit or am I Taylor in this situation? And the reality is you're both when you're the church. Taylor felt lonely, and he felt misunderstood, and people were rushing in to fix, and the rabbit stayed and waited, and that was enough until Taylor was ready to engage. He was present. And the struggle for us as the church is, like, how can we do both? I'm looking to be understood. I'm looking for someone looking for me, and also, I'm called to fellowship. I'm called to care. I'm called to be present. That's a beautiful struggle. And I hope that we will engage that more and more. And so my encouragement is the season is coming where city groups are gonna be launched, right? City fellowship was kind of in place of city groups until we launch in the fall. And what I love about these topics that we discuss, shame, anxiety, loneliness, there's more and more, it's like the, the goal was not to solve these things in these talks, right? The goal was to create an awareness at this church so that when the time comes, when we have an opportunity to engage someone that is experiencing these things, that we can actually receive that with joy and not rush to be the expert, not rush to fix, but actually say, this is part of what fellowship is. We struggle here together, and there's room for yours. So be with and trust that the Lord will work in that. Amen? Amen. Amen. So maybe, you know, those discussion questions, you can take that and maybe engage in some ways you uh, pursue someone and get some quality relationship. We have those discussion times, but I want to be mindful of our time here. So I'm going to pray for us and then let you go. Uh, Lord God, it's, it's amazing that you allow us to, to come together. You allow us to fellowship. You allow us to see and be seen. And Lord, we, uh, we need relationship. 
And when you are constructing the cosmos down to the very last detail, you intentionally left something undone to highlight our need for companionship. It is what is common to every human being. Lord, help us to resist this idea in our culture that we can just be self-contained, that we can be self-sustained, that we don't need anyone unless they fit into our, our, our narrative and our own belongings and our own prescriptions. Lord, help us to get in the way of one another so we can see one another and be drawn in to experience one another while ultimately experiencing you. For you are a friend that sticks close to us more than a brother. You are the fulfillment of all things. And you are the ultimate one who can satisfy our needs for intimacy. Help us to not over-spiritualize them. Help us to see our journey of community as one that has many ups and downs, many setbacks as we are all sinners. And you look upon it with delight as we wrestle for commonality and communion with one another and with you. Help us, Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so that's the Last City Fellowship. Thank you all for hanging in there uh, for the summer. Um, And uh, I hope to see you soon in the life of the church.